And uh, I'm going to teach you something new, though. Here we go, because we're going into uh, chapter 30 today, and going to make it all the way to chapter 50. We have not figured out how long that's going to take. Not today, but just chapter 30. And um, I've found that in, in my study of the Bible over the years, knowing the names of the 12 sons of Jacob are very, is a very helpful thing. So I'm going to teach you the first four today, and they're actually in birth order. After that, it gets a little fuzzy toward the end. Uh, it does work out. But the first four are, well, I can tell you all 12, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Zebulun, Issachar, Dan, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, I checked on that one, Naphtali, not Naphtali, Naphtali, watch out for that one, um, Joseph, and Benjamin. There they are, all 12. I know, don't clap, it's okay. So here we go, you're going to learn the first four. Repeat after me, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. Now they all have two syllables, so it kind of works very well for a chant. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. Try that, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. And let's do that four times in a row, ready, go. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. Okay, now I put together some of these uh, for kids, actually. I, I made it up some years ago, a chant that starts off that way, and we're going to show you a video of it, and yes, it is me recorded on there. Yeah, fire away. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. Zebulun, Issachar, Dan, Gad. Zebulun, Issachar, Dan, Gad. Asher, Naphtali, Joseph, Benjamin. 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 There you go. Hidden talents, hidden talents. Boy, I tell you what. Um, you can be opening your Bibles to Genesis 30, as you've already been warned. Uh, we're going back to Genesis. We've been two months out of it. We did a, a series in December about the women and the lineage of, of Jesus's, uh, in Jesus' lineage. Uh, there are some women specifically named in there. And then uh, December, we did the 2022 challenge, and hopefully we now know a little bit more about fasting, a little bit more about our faith, our doctrine, a little bit more about what it means to be a family, a little bit more about prayer, and then a little bit more about what does it mean to be a church, uh, how we apply our faith. And, and, uh, and, and so I was excited about that, and what, what you need to know is that the challenge isn't over. We just talked about it in January. We want to carry that through the year. We want to be praying for things. We want to be better family. We want to understand our church and doctrine better. And we want to fast for 40 days this year at some point, whether it's a day here and there, a day a week, a month, whatever you want to do. Um, but to, to challenge ourselves to do those, to increase in our prayer, to increase in, in uh, how we uh, exercise our faith in our church. And so uh, we, we've gone through the challenge, and I encourage you to keep going back to that a lot this year. But we come back to Genesis, and we're coming back to where God is beginning to form the family that will become the nation of Israel, and it is a mess, okay? Um, there is a mess here at the beginning. It's very messy. 
I'm thankful for whoever got me my water because I didn't get back in time to get it. Somebody did it for me, so thank you so much. Um, and, but th this thing gets messy, and it gets messy because Jacob already has two wives, and he got one that he didn't want then, and then he got fooled into getting her, and then he had to get her sister, and now those two sisters are going to each give him a servant, and now he's got four wives. There's a, there's a popular TV show called Sister Wives. It's on a cable network. And it's some uh, sect of the Mormon church. And, and uh, this guy has four wives, not by our government legally, but only one is legally his wife that way. But to them, in the eyes of God, these are all for his legal wives. And, and, when the, and when that show first came, and they're in the news a lot now. And when that show first came on, uh, it was, oh, we learned how to cooperate. And this is God's will. Because, you know, everybody in the Old Testament had multiple wives except Adam. Because God only created one wife for her. Note the pattern. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, and so, and back then, uh, I, I could see that, and I'd go, yeah, no, nah, they're lying. Well, now, one of those wives is like, I'm done with this dude, you know? Two of them have no relationship with him, but they still are in the, in the situation, and he's only really with one wife. It's a mess. That's not really God's best for us. And Jacob is in the same mess right here. And we're going to see it. Uh, we're starting in Genesis 30, verse 1. But this text actually begins in chapter 29 and verse 31, which we went over before uh, we started in the Christmas series because Leah has those first four boys. And what are their names? Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. And Judah, that fourth son, is the one through whom Jesus came. As you remember, Jacob worked seven years to marry Rachel, and his father-in-law Laban, who's going to come back into this chapter, uh, fools him and gives him Leah, who is the older sister, uh, for his wife. And he says, you've deceived me. You've messed up. I I've got the wrong wife. I've worked for Rachel. He goes, oh, too bad. Well, you can work seven more years for her. So he does, and he marries Rachel. And in the scripture, we learn that Jacob loves Rachel. He doesn't really love Leah like he should. And that, I mean emotionally and, and, and as a husband should love his wife. Uh, but they're married and God blesses Leah to have children, doesn't bless Rachel to have them. And Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah, the fourth son born to Leah. Obviously, God's choice to carry on the lineage was Leah. So today we're talking about our weakness, God's will. Jacob obviously had some weakness in his life, but God's will is still done. So sometimes when we realize that God requires something of us, we think, man, I can't do that. I'm not good enough. Well, guess what? You're right. You're not good enough. God picks people that aren't good enough because he doesn't have any other choice. None of us are good enough, okay? And we, we find out that God will work through people that aren't good enough, who mess up, who who, are, who struggle through things, God will still use you in great and mighty ways. And so we're going to see some of that today because in this story at the end of the chapter, when we get there, Jacob has become a God follower and he quits acting like the old deceiver and he's starting to act more like he should as a follower of God. So here's what I want you to take home with you today. You cannot do God's will man's way. That's what we're going to see in this chapter, that men are trying to do things their way, women are trying to do things their way, mankind is, and, and they're making a mess of it, but God takes that mess and makes something great out of it. So, I'm not going to read every verse in the chapter. I want you to join me in chapter 1 of, of 
I mean, verse 1 of chapter 30. And remember what just happened in the last chapter. Rachel has had four sons, the last one being Judah. And so it opens with this remark. When Rachel saw that she had bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Well, that's an exaggeration right there, isn't it? Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who's withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, Here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son, and Rachel said, God has judged me, and he also heard my voice and given me a son, and therefore she called his name Dan, and Je Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again, bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I've wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. Let's pause there for a second. Let me open in prayer. Father, as we come to your word that you have given us, Lord, open our eyes to behold the lessons, the story, and these stories, the things that we need to apply in our life today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you may be like me, a casual reading, you go, how does this apply to me? All right, this dude's got a bunch of wives, they have a bunch of kids, and, and, I'm, and, and I get it. You know, you start reading, okay, this one had a kid, this one had a kid, this one, that's their name, that's their name, that's their name. And we go, yeah, that's good. Listen, here's something I've always said to myself. I'm so glad for scholars who get into this and understand it and keep it straight so that we still have the good record because there are, there, it's important for us to know. But we also can see some lessons that we can take from what we're reading here. And that's going to be more my emphasis today rather than the, the exact uh, you know, kids being born at this point. We'll see this more later uh, as we go along. So the first thing I want you to see is Rachel's selfishness. I, I, I cannot explain the Bible in today's culture if you have today's culture sensitivities in North America. Because in their day, so I'm just going to say it the way it was and understand I'm explaining their culture. In their day, a woman's worth was bound up in the children she could bear, especially the boys, because that was how the line continued. That was the heirs. Of course, you needed ladies. Jesus lifted ladies out of a lot of uh, oppression, and, and he always did uh, great uh, by women and, and, and gave them dignity and worth, gave that back to them. But Rachel here acts in a very selfish way. And, and there's an attitude that we have in all of you here, probably, I will say that, I can't condemn everybody, I don't know everybody, but probably all of us at some point have had a little bit of Rachel's attitude in us. And I'll tell you what that is in a little bit. But what we see in this part with Rachel is that it establishes knowledge of the power of God and what God can do and what God if he chooses to doesn't do here is a woman who has no reason why she shouldn't bear children as far as we know yet she is not able to have children and notice what it says at the very beginning she saw uh, that Leah bore Jacob no children I'm sorry when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children she envied her sister notice that she envied her sister. Now, is that, is that the right response? I, I, I get her pain. I, I absolutely can get her pain. But she reacts in envy. In, in Galatians, the Bible talks to us about attitudes. It, 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 it lists about four big areas of sin. And some of those areas, boy, if I said it, 
out loud, you'd all go, oh yeah, that's a sin. Yeah, you shouldn't do that. But in the middle, there's a bunch of them that we accept because they're just a bad attitude. Well, that guy's just grumpy. You know, well, yeah, well, you don't understand what I've been through. Of course I'm upset. And yet the Bible condemns some of these attitudes and says, those who do these things and things like them shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Sometimes we allow ourselves to have a bad attitude just because we want to have a bad attitude. Do you know sometimes a bad attitude feels good? I mean, look at all the sarcastic signs that you see, especially bumper stickers. And some people put stuff on their car, and I go, really? You want, you want everybody to know you're that dumb? You know, it's just nuts. It's just a bad attitude. Rachel's having a bad attitude. Now, I, I get her pain. I, I don't understand it fully, but, but I understand why she's upset. Because for her, she feels like she has no worth because she isn't able to bear Jacob a son. The, the weird thing is that Jacob loves Rachel and he doesn't even love Leah. She has his attention. She has all the special stuff from Jacob. Leah is fighting and clawing just to get Jacob's attention. And, Le and Rachel has all of it. And yet she's envious of her sister over, over children. And again, I get it. But we do the same thing. I'm, I'm going to make a point of it in a minute. Let me, let me kind of go through the story here. And then she asked Jacob for the impossible. Give me children. Well, he could have said, honey, we've been trying. But he said, am I God? Am I in the place of God that I can make you bear children when God is the one who closed your womb? At least Jacob caught that, that there was something there that maybe it was a sinful attitude. I don't know. Maybe God's trying to teach her a lesson. But Jacob's saying, hey, I'm not God. I can't do that. And in there, we see something we ought to catch hold of. You're not married to God either, whether it's your husband or your wife. Remember I said all of us struggle, right? We all have trouble. God uses imperfect people because that's all he has. And, and so when we look at our mate, we shouldn't expect them to be perfect. Other than Jesus, the only perfect man ever lived was Adam, and he fell into sin and passed it on to all of us. And now we all are born sinful. And so don't expect your mate to be God. Expect them to want to grow in the likeness of Christ. With me there? Okay. So, and so she said, I'm going to die if I don't have children. Well, that's hyperbole. Come on. You know, all of us, you know, when we get upset, we say things in a very extreme way. You remember, I don't know, maybe, I don't know if kids still do this. I'm sure they do. But mom or dad, everybody's doing that. Or everybody has one. You, you know, I see some parents smiling and shake. The answer to that is, I don't have one. <laughs> I don't do that, so everybody's not doing it. Everybody doesn't have one. Right? But when we could hear that selfish attitude into adulthood, I'm going to die. No, no, you're not. Quit being dramatic, you know. Oh, man, drama. I hate drama. Anyway, so... We, we catch that, and then Rachel goes into sin. She comes up with her own answer. Well, here, take my servant. Well, now, when Jacob takes her and allows this to happen, and Bible doesn't tell us Jacob's motivation other than, okay, I'll do that. He has to take her on as a wife. He has to treat her with the same 
things that he treats Rachel and Leah with. There, the Bible later, God makes this a law. It's in Exodus. You cannot give to one less. Now, Jacob does that with Leah, uh, but it becomes a law in Judaism. If you have more than one wife, you got to treat them equally. You got to provide these things in their life and come up with that. But she's coming up with her own answer, and we do that as well. When God, we, we think God doesn't have control or he's not doing it, we start doing things to help God out because obviously he doesn't know what we need or he, he can't accomplish it. Well, of course he can and of course he knows. So why do we have the attitude that he doesn't know or that he can't handle it? Because he's not doing it the way we do it. There's a little family story in my family uh, before I was born, my sister was very little. She's two or three years old, maybe three. And two doors down, my mom's brother lived down there, and he had a son that was just a year younger than my sister. So they were probably like four and three, somewhere in there. And she, my sister would go and play with Charles up there a couple of houses down. And one day my mom said, my sister came home, and she was all upset, you know, three or four-year-old little girl, and she said, what's wrong? And she said, Charles doesn't play like God wants him to. <laughs> I see Rachel right here in that. And she comes up with her own idea how to handle it. We think you're not playing like God wants you to because you're not doing what I want you to, but you may be doing what God wants you to. And we, we got to see that. And I want you to catch in verse 8 Rachel, another attitude Rachel has. Rachel said... With mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. It wasn't a contest. It wasn't a conflict. It wasn't, it wasn't a game. It wasn't something that you had to win. God just gave Rachel four children and didn't give, or Leah four children didn't give Rachel any at this point. But yet her attitude is, i got to beat her. And that is what gets into what I said, we've all done it. The very first thing, she envies her sister. I want to go back to that and just, I want to clear that up in our minds a little bit. I think we all have done that. You might not have wanted to call it envy. It could be jealousy. That might be a term that could apply. But let's just say I own a jalopy and you're my friend and you buy a Maserati. Now, if you don't know what those two things are, you can ask somebody later. But that's like the worst car and the best car, maybe. I don't know if Maserati is actually the best, but it's up there. And you come in with that, and I say, wow, can't live in luxury, but you can ride in it. Or I say, can't hide money. Why can't I go, wow, God bless you to get that nice of a car? That is great. But see, I'm jealous because I got a Maserati. I'm envious because I got... I mean, I got a jalopy, and you got this nice car. And even we as believers, we do that. We, we say it like we're joking, but what motivates that? Why can't we rejoice with those who rejoice, as the Bible says, and mourn with those who mourn? You see, God calls us to understand where people are and encourage them where they are. Those who are rejoicing, we encourage them. Well, yes, don't forget, this is God's blessing Remember what it says in Proverbs, God, give me what I need. Don't give me too much, lest I be rich and forget you, or lest I be poor and curse you. But give me what is needful for me. So if God's blessed you, praise the Lord. God has blessed you. I'm glad you can handle that gift because I couldn't. God bless you, man. That is great. 
or somebody's morning, let me help you by encouraging you. Let me comfort you and help get you back on your feet and encourage you in life. But we act judgmentally toward people. Maybe someone suffered and we think, well, they deserved it. We see some person out there on the street and they are broken down and in trouble and we judge them or somebody God has blessed with wealth and we judge them. We become a judge and only God can judge rightly. Right? Well, Rachel's upset and we can at least learn those lessons from her. But then sibling rivalry, rivalry kicks in even with Leah now. Remember, Leah is kind of, in, in relation to how Jacob treats Rachel, Leah is despised, the Bible says. Uh, it, it uses even a stronger word. But in verse 9, Leah saw that she had ceased from bearing children. She took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Now Jacob's got four of them. They're making a big mess out of this, okay? This is a messy situation. And so Jacob uh, uh, gave Jacob, and then Leah's servant Zilpah bears Jacob a son. And Leah says, good fortune has come, and she calls him Gad. And then Zilpah has another son, and Leah says, happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she named him Asher. So now Jacob's got four women. He's got all these children. But what God is doing, we see him establishing this nation of Israel. There's something I want you to catch about God in this. I don't believe it's God's will for Jacob to have all these women. I'm just going to say it that way. I'm going to go at it from that perspective. You, you can tell me I'm wrong. That's fine. That's your opinion. You're welcome to it. Only God knows if I'm right or wrong. I don't even know if I'm right or wrong. But I'm going to help you understand something, the premise that Jacob shouldn't have gotten four wives. He should have stuck with Leah. That was the first wife he had. That's one God gave him. He should have stayed there and been happy. But here's something I want you to catch about God. God is still getting the kids there to become the nation of Israel. Could God have done that without Rachel, Bilhah, or uh, is it Zilpah, whatever her name is, the last one? Could, could he have done it without them? Yeah. You see, God not only knows what needs to happen, he could make it happen. But here's the deal. God knows. We don't know what God would have done if Jacob had just been married to Leah. Would she have had 12 children? If God won 12 tribes, she would have, right? God knows the possibility of every decision we make and the ramifications of it out to infinity. You and I can't even conceive this like past three steps. And he knows it out to infinity. Do you think you could trust him to make the right decision for you? When it's not a reality to us where we live, God knows what the reality would have been had we done something differently. And will engineer that to accomplish his will. That's the God we serve. He's that powerful. He's that knowledgeable. Therefore, he can be trusted that much. Amen. And Leah panics and doesn't trust him anymore and says, take my servant. And guess what Leah did? She got it. She made sure it was a contest. Now it's who can have the most boys. Now it becomes, it wasn't supposed to be that. There's supposed to be a family working together, staying together, taking care of each other. And let me... Let me, let me uh, make sure I make something very clear. I said they've made a mess, and they are. Or am I saying those children are a mess? No, God is making masterpieces out of our messes. God, uh, children are a, a gift from God. They are a heritage of the Lord. They are, they are a blessing from God. 
And, and, and so we better understand that the children are not wrong, but what Rachel and Leah did was. And what Jacob has done is. But in all of that mess, God is doing something great and glorious. And then we come to a, a kind of an interesting story. Um, again, just the modern sensitivities, like the Bible's so blunt and plain, we get more holy than the Bible in our own minds, don't we? Oh, you can't say that. Um, but here's what happens. They have, I call it the mandrake incident because that's what happens. Look at verse 14. In the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. And Rachel said to Leah, that, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Now, a nice sister wife would say, well, sure, here's some. But they're not being nice sister wives, are they? But she said to her, is it a small matter? You've taken away my husband. Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? This is Leah's position. She has been greatly hurt by Jacob. Jacob ignores her as much as he can. And Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. And when Jacob came in from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come into me for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. She has to buy an evening with her own husband. What despair. That's horrible living. So he lay with her that night, and God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. I wanted you to understand something about the mandrakes. Why is that such a big deal? I'll tell you why. They believed, and it may be true, I didn't study it enough to know if it's true or not, I just know they thought this. That the mandrake was both an aphrodisiac and it helped in conception. They believed those two things. So Leah's oldest son, Reuben, goes out and gets her mom some mandrakes because you knows she wants them or likes them, I guess, and brings them in. And Rachel sees it and wants them. And says to Leah, give me some. And she's, no. And so Rachel wants them. Why? So she can have a baby and make herself so that Jacob will want to help her have a baby. And Leah surrenders that belief and power to her, to Rachel, just to have an evening with Jacob, and God blesses that evening, and they have another child. But notice this jealousy and this fighting, and I think it is kind of funny. God's going, mandrakes don't have power, only I have power, right? Right? And, that, and so we see that there. And I'm just going to kind of leave that uh, with you to understand that. Because Israel is being established. And down as we continue in this, uh, in verse 19, Leah conceives again. And she gets a sixth son and said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me. She's still striving for Jacob's attention and for him to honor her. Because I've borne him six sons, so she called his name Zebulun, and afterwards she bore a daughter and named her Dinah. And then God remembers Rachel. Rachel's going to have two children. We only see one in this chapter. Rachel, uh, uh, God listened to her and opened her womb, and she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach and named him Joseph, saying, May the Lord add, me, add to me another son, and later she will have a son named Benjamin. Y'all know the story of Joseph. We'll get to it as we go through this, that he saves his family from death, from famine. So Joseph's a very important character. 
So I, I just want you to catch that. These women are acting out of jealousy and envy and, and anger and, and maybe hatred. It doesn't use that word, but you sense that being there, just this competition. And that's not what God intends for God's family. God intends for us to pull together, to work together, for all things to work together for God's good, that, that he is the one doing it, and we are willing participants with him in that. And that we ought to rejoice, as the Bible says, with those who rejoice, and we ought to mourn or weep with those who weep. That we ought to love one another, encourage one another, help one another. And that we ought to be satisfied with what God gives us and not be jealous of what God gives other people. In the second half of this, Jacob's, grand, uh, Jacob's father-in-law, Laban, deceives Jacob. Jacob is known as the deceiver. His name means heel grabber or deceiver. And, and it's kind of funny how God works sometimes with the younger in, in these stories because they always looked at the elder, but God works with the younger. And, and what happens is when Rachel finally has her own child by her own body named Joseph, we come down to verse uh, 25, and as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I've served you that I may go for you know the service I've given you. But Laban said to him, if I found favor in your sight and I've learned by divination, the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. And Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I've served you and how your livestock is uh, fared with me for you had little before I came and it has increased abundantly and the Lord has uh, blessed you when, wherever I turn but now when I sh when shall I provide for my household what's been going on is Jacob said I'll serve you for this daughter I'll serve you for this daughter okay I'll serve you take care and every time Laban cheats him out of his wages and Jacob's like just let me leave well, you've got to give people their wages when they leave. And Laban says, well, what shall I give you? He goes, what do you mean? Everything you've got, I got it for you. All you got is already mine. But Jacob says this. Tell you what, you keep the pure white sheep and goats. Just give me the ones that are black or spotted or striped or mottled in color. And that's all, that's all I take. And that way, if you come back and I've got any white sheep in my flock, you'll know that I stole them from you. And Laban said, that's a good deal. Let's do that. Except, down in verse um, 35, but that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in charge of his sons. So every, every sheep or goat that was multicolored, he sent them away with his boys, three days journey and he steals Jacob's wages and sends them off. And all Jacob has is solid white sheep left. And verse 37, and Jacob, instead of doing what the deceiver would have done, was, hmm, he thinks he's got me. I'm going to come up with a plan. Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees. And by the way, I looked this up. Uh, Planitis orientalis. We call them sycamores. And peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. And he set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the trough. And that is the watering places where the flocks came to drink. 
And since they bred, when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks. And so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped. And all the black of the flock of Laban, he put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Therefore, the stronger the flock, whenever the stronger the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Y'all want to tell me how that worked? As of Thursday, I didn't know either. When we did the, uh, the, the roundup, the, the, the recap, I always call it roundup, the recap, uh, I told Pastor Andy, I said, I don't know how that worked. I'm going to have to find out between now and then. We went to South Carolina uh, Thursday afternoon and came back last night and so, um, as, as Janice drove us down there uh, and, and back, I found out. I started doing some research while we were riding, and I found out what happened. There's only one miracle in this story. And the miracle is that God knew the genetics of the male sheep. And that's the ones he had breed with Jacob's ewes. Say, well, what about the sticks? See, when I was a kid, I mean, the King James says he put them before their eyes. So that makes you think they're looking at them. But that's King James talk to mean it's in front of you, you can see it. So he put the sticks, he takes poplar, he takes sycamore, we would call it. Uh, he takes this plane tree and he strips the bark, cuts into the stick and he puts it in the water. Guess what we have learned? That when you do that, there are chemicals in those trees and the wood that will make a sheep. It is an analgesic that will take away inflammation and it will increase the health of those sheep. And it is activated when you strip the bark and put it in warm water. And he's putting it in the water in a desert, a hot place where the water is warm anyway. And so these sheep are getting supplements to make them stronger in chapter 31 Jacob says God told me in a dream and I saw only striped and spotted and mottled sheep breeding with the with the white sheep because all he's got are solid white sheep but every time they gave birth they gave birth to these spotted ones God knew the genetics that were in the males to create that that's the miracle part the other part, he just knew. The chemicals that come out of those sticks, they've done a controlled study of them. And they had a control group and then the experimental group. The control group conceived 94% of the time. The group that got the supplements that come out of this wood conceived 100% of the time. They were healthier, they were happier, and they gave birth four days earlier than the control group. So he's getting sheep faster, and he's getting better ones, and the Bible tells you that. The feeble ones came, he goes, uh-uh, I ain't going to give them the supplements, and they let, he let them get weaker. But when, when it was the strong use, he would put that wood in there and let it soak in, and as those males are breeding with them, he's getting healthy sheep that are spotted and mottled. So by the time Laban comes back, he's got a healthy herd, and he goes, see, I'm just taking the ones you said I could have. Here's yours back. And he gave him all the sick ones and he took the healthy ones and left. Now, if he'd have been the deceiver, he'd have tried to get even. Which you say, well, didn't he? No. 
He said, fine, that's how you want to work it. We don't know how Jacob knew this. The Bible doesn't say God told him to do that. But I am firmly convinced that the smartest man who ever lived was Adam. And everybody after him is dumber. Okay? And it's getting worse as we go. You say, I'm not that dumb. Okay, let's take away all electricity, all, uh, all computers, and all libraries. Can you build a car? Can you build a generator? Do you know, some of you in here would know, but some of you wouldn't know. Do you know how to plant crops and make sure you got seed for next year and how to preserve it so you can eat it all year long? And Well, you don't have any ovens now because you got to build a fire to cook. And Yeah, we're not so smart, are we? We're, we're kind of made ourselves helpless with technology and electricity and other things. There are people who know that. I get that. But understand that maybe Jacob knew this already because he came from a shepherding family and he just knew and he's like I'm not going to pull that trick until I need it and now he's doing it but I want you to catch that God is blessing Jacob in the middle of this why because God will have his will even amongst weak people who make bad decisions and God is creating a nation that is going to give us a messiah Jacob acts in faith by doing what he did and God blesses that faith. So how do we apply all this? First of all, where in your life do you exhibit selfishness or envy? You need to repent of that. We need to, we need to treat our brothers and sisters with the grace of God that he has given uh, to us as well. I, I, I put up there Romans 12, 13. And that verse says, this contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality we ought to help each other we ought to show hospitality to each other we should not act with envy and jealousy secondly when your timing is not God's timing wait I don't know a child alive or an adult that used to be a child that didn't ask his parent for something way before he should ever have it. It doesn't matter what the widget is that they asked for. In some of your lives, it might have been something ancient to us, and today it might be something technologically advanced. But the parent knows you shouldn't have that yet and doesn't give it. Maybe God knows you shouldn't have it yet and doesn't give it. So those who wait upon the Lord, Isaiah 40, 31, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Waiting is not inactivity. Waiting is serving God. Whatever God's given you to do, do that until God gives you what you need. So wait on God. And then thirdly, stay honest even when you're double-crossed. Jacob didn't do any trickery here. He just did what he knew how to do. He kept his bargain. But the Bible says in, in Psalm 15 about the man who would ascend onto God's mountain, it says he keeps his word even to his own hurt. Jacob was doing that, but he was trusting God, and God blessed him because God knew that male will only give solid-colored sheep and didn't let them breed with his lambs. And the ones that bred with his gave the right colors. Because God knew the genetics. See, God's got that supernatural knowledge. 
But Jacob did what he could do, and God did what God can do that we can't. And so, act in faith. Stay honest, even when you've been double-crossed. Because that's God's call on us. We, we want to fuss and fight and scrap and struggle. Just trust God. He's got it. It's a fine line Christians walk because we shouldn't be fatalistic and go, oh, well, there's nothing I can do. Well, if you can do something about it, do it, right? But if you can't do anything about it, don't worry about it. God's got it. Just say, okay, well, this is the will of God for now. I'm just going to be content where I am until God moves. Say, what if God doesn't move? Well, you will have been faithful, and he will reward you for your faithfulness. But if you start messing up, like, here, take my servant, oh, well, yeah, you might not should have done that. And I don't want to stand before God and say, yeah, I didn't think you could handle it, so I was trying to do it for you. God goes, you know, that wasn't your job. Your job is to do what I told you to do, not do what you thought I should do. Right? Yeah. It's a lot here in chapter 30. It looks like, eh, but there's a lot there. That we ought to be trusting God and walking in God's way because God's going to do his will. Jesus said, pray that thy will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. And that includes us. We ought to do God's will here as well. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you, so many of us try to do your will our way. And uh, Lord, we try to even earn our way to heaven sometimes. And Lord, we, we can't get there without you. We, you're not a crutch, you're a stretcher. If we don't lay down and rest in you, we, we can't go anywhere. You are the one who carries us where we need to go. And we just thank you, Lord, that, that we can trust you. You know so much more. You, you love us so much better than we love ourselves. You have the power, the understanding, and the ability to accomplish your will through us and in us and around us. So help us, Lord to do what you've put before us. Lord, we thank you that you give us desires, dreams, things that we want to accomplish, and that's wonderful and great. May we make sure those are yours and not ours. Lord, help us to make sure we are following your will no matter what it is. And Lord, for the people here, the people that might hear this, God, I pray in Jesus' name that if they need your salvation, if they need to know you, that today you would convict them in their heart and their life that you love them and that you want to be their God, you want to be their Savior, and that they will want to follow you and obey you for the rest of their life. God, may we be examples of that for them. And I pray, Lord, that right now you'd work in their heart. And if there's anybody here who needs to know more about Christ and following him, I'll be here, some others will be here. We would love to help you. So after I pray and we are dismissed, please, I'll be around. Seek me out. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you, we thank you, and we pray you'd go with us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Go with God.